Welcome to episode 17 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. Well, I am so excited. I know that you are too, to have a woman who is just an inspiration and a friend, and we love her so much. And her name is Nancy Mateer. She's a longtime resident of Coral Springs, and she was just elected as the first black woman, but also Haitian American woman, commissioner of Coral Springs. Amazing. So Nancy is an environmental scientist and a former member of the Broward County Soil and Water Conservation District. She has undertaken work across multiple government agencies and nonprofit organizations where she brought long-term strategic expertise to programs seeking to improve environmental conditions, water, sanitation, and public health. She has been a staunch advocate for those impacted by water crises throughout the nation and worked extensively in response to devastating natural disasters such as Hurricane Irma, Michael, and Dorian. Welcome to the podcast, Commissioner Mateer. Thank you for having me. Wow, when you read the bio, I'm like, whoa. (laughs) (laughs) You've been busy for such a young lady. Yes. Thank you, thank you. And I am so grateful to be amongst great company. And I've heard a lot of your other episodes. So I'm just honored to be on today. Thank you. So I want to talk a little bit about your historic win. Um, You know, when you, it was a social distance kind of uh, swearing in ceremony. So we got to watch it live on Facebook and you had your grandmother with you and she read, uh, you did the swearing in, in Haitian Creole. And uh, it's, it was just such a moving and amazing moment to, to witness. And I feel, if I can say, I feel like it was very American, right? Yes. To have someone represent their, uh, who they are and being, uh, a longtime resident of Coral Springs to just like merge these, these things. It was so Nancy and I loved yes, it so it much. Beautiful. So tell us about this win and what it meant for you. I know that you worked very hard on this race. Yes. Wow, thank you for bringing that up. First of all, my grandma stole the show. It was no longer about me. (laughs) Yes. But um, this moment, um, this win for me um, was surreal. Um, When you think back of, I know I shared with you, Tina and Hillary, um, the trials and tribulations, y'all went out to that polling site, the polling site. Um, early voting site and everything that was going on the national level, you can see it here at that polling site, the nastiness, um, the divisiveness, the scare tactics. And so winning to me was like, ha, 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 in your face to all those people <laughs> out there that, um, at the early voting site. But it was just so hard. Mm-hmm. You had to be conscious of not um, coming off um, insensitive because people were going through a difficult time, right? How do you ask people to donate to your campaign when they've lost their job or they've been furloughed? Yeah. How do you have real conversations about building community when people are worried about their relatives catching COVID, lost their relatives from COVID-19, and really dealing with the unemployment crisis that we are facing here in Florida. Um, So it was hard for me um, to really center community and also feel very empathetic for individuals, as well as sharing my platform and my vision for Coral Springs. Um, We did not um, knock on doors originally. We 
um, in the beginning of the COVID, of COVID, we actually did check-in calls, mm-hmm. making sure that our elderly, most importantly, were taken care of. They had someone to drop off groceries for them because they were the most vulnerable, right? Mm-hmm. We also checked in in our low-income, low-propensity voters in the area as well to ensure that they had everything that they need. And sometimes it w- this was the first time anyone um, checked in with them. And then lastly, as things began to open up later on in the year, we knocked on doors, lit drops, but we did that in a social distance way. And you're like, well, how do you do that, right? Well, we knocked on we knocked on the door and then we stepped back six feet. We wore masks, we wore gloves, we wore face shields. And we also encouraged folks as they come to the door to also wear their masks as well. Um, people were surprised. They were happy. Some folks, this was the first time they seen anyone in months come to their doors um, outside of Amazon or the UPS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so folks were very, very excited to interact with me and my team. Um, when we talked about all this, all this being physically, but it was also very emotional too, right? There are some times where you felt like, am I reaching enough people? Am I doing what I need to be doing in, during this time? but also making sure that, like, I was okay. Like, mm. I didn't know what was going on with COVID, right? right. I ha- I live with my, my family. I have a young uh, niece who lives with us. My sister and my mom are both essential workers. My mom's a nurse. Um, so it was just, like, making sure they were okay, too. I was okay. It was just so traumatic. Uh, like, yeah. being a candidate and making sure your family was up and going, like, it was a lot. <laughs> I'm yeah, glad it's over. Yes. <laughs> well, and, and you ran, you know, on, on several different issues, but one of the issues you ran on was climate change. And why yeah. do you think that that was an issue that resonated with Coral Springs voters? Well, we had uh, our wet season this year, also known as hurricane season, was very wet. And our city experienced a lot of flooding. Um, and People may not know this, but we sit smack in the middle of the Everglades, Coral Springs. <laughs> yeah. And so um, although our infrastructure isn't as old as, per se, other municipalities in um, Broward County, we do have um, infrastructure that constantly needs to be updated. And if we don't pay close attention to our stormwater infrastructure, we'll experience more and more flooding. Because what happens is, um, our infrastructure is 60 years old, 60 plus years old. Um, what happens is our systems aren't programmed to withstand such, what, six, 12 inches of rain in 30 mm. minutes. That's like uncalled for. So what we're doing now is constantly ensuring that our, our wastewater and our infrastructure is being updated because, again, we're ground zero for climate change. We yeah. live in smack in the middle of the Everglades. And folks have invested a lot of money to ensure that their homes are resilient, right? Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that when we put in an insurance claim that they're not saying, oh, you live in a floodplain and you can't cash out because it's your fault. We want to be able to say, hey, your insurance is wrong. Um, these are what the city has done to ensure that our city is resilient and they need to give you your funds to ensure that you are able to live in the home that you live in and make sure that you are able to pass this home on to future generations. That's how I see it. Um, Also, we, our city stopped recycling. And a lot of people were Mm -hmm. upset. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we are in 2020 and right. to say that we're no longer recycling is like appalling, right? So we've converted to some something called waste energy, which is just a fancy name of saying incineration. And what that <laughs> what that is, you're burning your trash. Mm-hmm. And when you burn your trash, we all know that goes into the yes. atmosphere and those heavy metals stay there. And then that contributes to air pollution. No matter how clean you do it, how innovative you do it you're still burning garbage you're still burning plastics and it gets into our atmospheres and contributes to the greenhouse gases so what our um what our residents what i've heard at the doors phone calls etc is like we want to ensure that we bring back recycling and do it in a way that is not a burdensome to our city it doesn't cost us money so right now the city's trying to work closely with our public works department to bring that back that program because at the end of the day it's all about money so we have to find it was costing the city way more money to separate the recyclables due to high contamination rates and so that's why they they scratched it and this is not only a problem in coral springs right yes broward county and so that's where we're at we're we're trying to figure out how to work through this how to be resilient how to be sustainable because in 20, 60, 30 years from now, um, we may not have a South Florida li- to live in if we don't do, we don't take the steps that we need for right now. Right. I was going to mm-hmm. say, I, I think I remember hearing Deerfield Beach stopped recycling. Yes. There's other uh-huh. cities as well. Uh, where did you get your interest in environmental justice and all of this? I know that you've talked about this before. I mean, not on the podcast, obviously, but I've heard you talk <laughs> about it. What was, what was, were you inspired as a little girl? What was the, this thing that got you going and down this path? Well, um, I come from a long line of farmers. <laughs> so my dad, um, and his family were, uh, what is it, sharecroppers in Haiti. Um, and my grandma is very, I would call her an herbalist. She has a tea for everything. <laughs> um, so between those both sides of the family, I believe that it's just in my blood, right? Um, so I remember my grandma here. She would babysit us. She would always have these stories. She would always tell her. I learned about farming through her, all of that. Um, and one story in particular that I that always stuck with me is she would always talk about after a woman would give birth. Um, and how we're all, we none of us have domain over the earth, right? We all work in unison. We all work together. Um, she would always say, so the um, umbilical cord is, uh, oh, we all know the source of life. And so um, she would explain to me, child is born, um, the umbilical cord is cut, then it's planted, and the tree's planted over it. So mm-hmm. you're always rooted to the earth, and you wow. always have a place, you always have a home somewhere. And so I was just like, oh, we don't do that here. Yeah. So that is something I've always wanted to do. Um, if, if God willing or if it, it's in my, my past, um, if I ever have a child, that's, that is a tradition I would love to carry on. So it, it started from that very moment, right? Her just explaining to us that we need the earth as much as earth needs us. Mm-hmm. And the earth is always going to find a way to um, continue thriving and existing, whether we're here or not. Right. Either we work together as a team or we are completely extinct off the face of the earth. Mm. I don't want to get to there, yeah. but in the path, the path that we're going in, that's what we're doing. We're like killing ourselves. Slowly right. Because right. Mother Nature is like, hey, 
keep this with us with us every year based yeah. on how hot it gets, how cold it gets, how wet it gets, the wildfires in California, the tsunamis, the earthquakes. She's going to do what she wants to do. Yes. It's whether we are going to be able to survive it is um, what I'm worried about. So it's right. time for us to work together against Mother Nature. So speaking of, of working together on that, what do you then see as the most pressing environmental issue uh, particularly facing South Florida? Our infrastructure, like when I look at other municipalities where they have sewage, sewage mains breaking and then you have sewage all over the street, we're building up so rapidly and we're not thinking about building in a sustainable way. That worries me. We're building like we've been building for the past 20 years. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think this is an opportunity for us to show globally, because we're, we sit on a peninsula, that, you know, we're surrounded by water, but we're doing the stuff that we need to ensure that we're protected, our coastlines are protected. We're seeing a high level of climate migration and climate gentrification. What are we going to do with all these people who are leaving these coastlines? Where are we going to put them? Um, and these are some serious conversations. Majority of Florida populations live on the coast. And so what does that do to our tourism? What does that do to our economy? What does that do to our livelihood? And if South Florida doesn't address this and make climate change a serious priority, I'm not optimistic about our future here right. in South Florida. I don't think um, future generations are going to have much um, to work with. And, and then it's going to it's gonna cause a lot more issues um, as we move forward, I, I know you both have children, and when you think about what legacy you're living behind for them, you want to be like, oh my goodness, I'm leaving, and I'm making sure that my kids have a place to live. They're not right. looking for food. They're not going to be worried about whether they have the proper gear because the earth has warmed up so dramatically that you won't be able to go outside for large mm. portions of the day. And so those are some real conversations that we need to have here in our legislator, in local government, and on a national level. Right. You did mention, you just mentioned um, gentrification, which I think is really important. And I know that we've had this conversation before off the podcast, but, uh, you know, gentri the gentrification that's happening, especially in South Florida cities, um, you had mentioned to us that it's because the areas that are black communities uh, that are next to the highway are on higher ground. And I thought that was so right. interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think that's something that really we need to start paying attention because those are the areas that these now very expensive apartments and condos uh -huh. are going into. Yeah. And it's changing the landscape of those neighborhoods and putting people out of their homes who have lived there for generations because basically they were forced into these areas right. because of racial uh, issues and everything else. And so now... Now, now the they're being forced out. Right. Yeah. So redlining is an issue and it's still an issue here, but they just call it, um, they, they mask it under zip codes and your school grades. But we, we, we all know um, the systematic racism that exists within our systems here, mm -hmm. nationally, locally, regionally, however. But when we talk about climate gentrification, to your point, Hillary, um, historically, we saw that. Um, ocean property was only for the affluent, and the affluent meaning white. 
right? Or white mm-hmm. passing. And the working class usually work closer to railroads or more inland, further away from oceanfront property. And what folks knew, and our, our indigenous folks knew that too, because they never um, built on lower land because they knew they always built on the ridge or they stayed on the ridge. Mm. Um, they did their farming and everything off, off, off the coast, but they lived on the ridge. And we see that through the, the Seminole people and all the people, indigenous people that have lived here before. As um, history tells us, uh, the ridge is where um, Black folks lived. And some of the places or cities um, that are placed on the ridge are Overtown, Liberty City, Little Haiti, formerly known as Lemon City. Um, All of these areas, Brownsville, are areas that are historically Black. And what we're seeing now is developers are coming in and really dismantling um, these communities and they're in culturally. Mm-hmm. And this is not new. This has happened before. I-95 is previously um, ran across black neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. It built over black neighborhoods intentionally, um, black cemeteries. I-95 is just one prime example of this happening over and over and over and over again. And I don't think this is something that's going to go away because black and brown folks can't afford um, to to buy, to either pay out or really be out, well, compete with the developers right mm-hmm. now um, because they're paying cash and that's what's hurting a lot of our communities. And mm-hmm. then when these individuals leave these higher elevations, we now put them in more vulnerable situations because now they're moving into areas that are, are very vulnerable for climate change, sea mm. level rise, sunny day flooding, their homes may no longer be able to be insured because of the sea level rise crisis. We have high um, heat index here, and what we're seeing happening is um, Karen, because that's the name we like to use a lot, Karen has family mm-hmm. in Connecticut, and their wet season with Zika is very prominent here because it's a water vector disease and it rains a lot here. She can go live with her family in Connecticut for three or six months right. out of the year, while Kimali, who lives in Little Haiti, is unable to do that because she has to work. She's an essential worker and right. she has to pay those bills. So she's more prone to being exposed to Zika. And then when we talk about reproductive justice and wow. how our bodies are being controlled on a state level and we no longer have autonomy of our bodies on a national level, she doesn't have options because why? Kimari is told that she needs parental consent or she needs this, 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 and that to get a um, get access to abortion care. Mm-hmm. And so this climate change is not just a silo issue. It impacts every aspect of our lives, mm-hmm. whether that's reproductive justice, whether that's affordable housing, whether that is simplest things as utility bills and food security. Because as climate change becomes more and more of an issue, food increases and you become more dependent on utilities because of the heat. Wow. Wow, it's, wow, wow. It's so frightening, but it's almost like the level, you know, in like, a, is it like a street barker, someone who stands there and like warns you that the end of the world is coming? Right. Like environmental <laughs> scientists, I mean, it's funny yeah. too, but like that's what they've been doing and people didn't. Oh, yeah, they, they, they didn't, they've been sounding the alarm uh, yeah, for a long and time. And they haven't been taking it seriously forever. And it just doesn't, uh, 
I mean, living in South Florida is very scary. It's very <laughs> scary because we're ground zero for this. And I don't understand why more people don't take it seriously. And what's very frightening is when you drive through Fort Lauderdale and they're putting more and yep. more condos. And I'm like, but <sighs> if you invested with companies or corporations that were environmental companies, they would be like in, envir- yeah, environmental architects. And yeah. there are, there are, um, but stop building that so are much. trained. Why are they building all of this? Right, for but, what? But there are people who are trained to build with the environment in mind. Yeah. And we could be, and I, I feel like I say this all the time about Florida, that, that Florida could be at the forefront. We could be so innovative in the mm-hmm. way that we um, rethink the way that our architecture works in, in, the, in, in the, the cities and towns, that we could even focus on things like clean energy and solar energy. Like, I mean, we're the sunshine state, right? You know, there's so many things as a state that we could do to make change and make an impact and be a great example that we just don't do. And it's, I mean, doesn't that so frustrating, Nancy, does that go to like who we're electing in Tallahassee? Is that where the big push is? I mean, I know you're going to be doing stuff. (laughs) You're going to be doing stuff in Coral Springs, but like, that's the big push, right? Is Tallahassee. Yeah, and, like, folks also, if we go back to civics, which is, I hear we only teach that once yeah. <laughs> in the 12 years that we're in school, uh. um, government is a nectar. It's a check and balance, right? Local government, we work. Like, I can phone my state rep all the time and be like, hey, I see these bills are coming up. This is how it's going to directly impact your constituents here back home. Mm-hmm. This is how you need to vote and why. Right. Um, that is our job as local electives. We're closer to the ground. Now, if your state rep is not working in collaborations with the local government, then there, that is a big issue. Mm-hmm. That is a huge issue. And then your state rep should be really working closely with your state um, with your national representatives that are supposed to be carrying this information from the local, right. from the state to the national to be like, this is what's happening in Florida. If you don't fix this, if we don't get the stimulus package, because our unemployment is so messed up here in South Florida, we're going to have more homeless people here mm-hmm. because we already have an affordable crisis issue here mm-hmm. in, in South Florida. So it's just like it all connects. Right. And I, it's so mind boggling when I hear people are like, oh, I'm only voting for the president and they yes. go home. You are doing yourself in your community such a disservice. You don't even understand right. because it is so important that all of these people communicate and they hold each other accountable because one chain, one breakage in this chain will hurt you for years, not 10, not five, but 50 plus years. Look at the Supreme court. Look at at what we've done. The damage we've done in four years. That's going to impact us for the next 50 years. Like, I don't know how much we need to stress the importance of, holding folks accountable. Right. So how, how would you then advise someone um, outside of voting to sort of get started in activism and, and make changes on the local level? What are some things that, that, you know, the average, you know, citizen can do? Um, And this is a hard question because we have to meet our folks where they're at. Some folks are trying to survive and the, basic thing that I could say for you to do is call your local electives, right? 
um, folks may think that that doesn't do any, doesn't do much. Calling and emailing your local electives is a public record. And you can say, I've called and I've emailed my local official this amount of time. And if you choose to, to ignore me, you pull a public records request and then you put them on blast on Facebook. We have mm-hmm. a lot of Facebook warriors out there. <laughs> That's one thing, using social media um, to uh, things that folks may find very simple and doesn't mean a lot, postcards. Um, I know we you know there's a historic race runoff in Georgia right now. You know how many doors I knocked on in Georgia and they said, oh yeah, I got a, a postcard from folks in Bra- from Brad County, Florida. Thank wow. you for taking over. Nice. Like, that helps too. Phone banking helps on your free time, your lunch break. I know whatever, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you can do out. Um, also, just getting your family more acclimated, right? Um, talking to your cousins and your aunts and uncles during the holiday season. Listen, this is what I'm experiencing. How has this been experiencing? Um, how have you been experiencing? How have you been dealing with that? What do you think we need to do? And bring that to a local group that's doing that work. Um, we have so many grassroots organizations in South Florida whose jobs are to empower the folks who feel like they are voiceless. And they do it in a way that's very meaningful and is a way that's very interactive and culturally sensitive to them. So folks always feel connected, whether that's through their church, whether that's through the strip clubs, if that's where you want to spend your free time, whether that's on the radio, whether that's however you you find your outlet, those, those people will be there ensuring that they are um, giving you the messages that you need and ensuring that you're getting um the right information about this election cycle, this et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we have so much work to do on a grass top level that I feel like if we don't involve grassroots, there's always going to be this form of disconnect and people are always going to feel um, like politics, voting, being physically engaged doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. When it definitely does. Yeah. This election proves that, right? Yeah. It matters. Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. And you are just such an incredible example of someone who has been involved in advocacy and activism for years. It's, it's so incredible to see all that you've done. Yeah. We're very, we're incredibly proud of you, Nancy. So, so proud. Yeah. And so thank you you for being on here with us today and, and giving us your wisdom that we always love so much and sharing it with everybody. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you too. And thank you for um, setting this um, platform up. I, I know um, y'all have been on for a little over a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, and your, your stories are so, in, not not only inspiring, but they're funny. It's very <laughs> palatable. And I feel like a lot of our politicians can learn from you both because you <laughs> deliver the message in a way that people are like, oh, thank you i mean thank they can, you so much they can definitely learn what not to do that's for one thing yes. on those <laughs> you, know, you don't want to be a, on, the, on the regular you, know, you don't want to be on the regular muck <laughs> little muck is the place where where uh, most politicians should like yeah. to remain yeah. <laughs> and you the are going to be our yeah. yeah you are our first guest on our second season of little muck yes. and we can't think of a better way to start the new year than talking to nancy so yes. we hope you have a wonderful year and good luck with everything you accomplish i know that you're gonna accomplish a lot in coral springs yes thank you so so, thank much, you so much commissioner 
I appreciate it. Please call me Nancy. Oh, <laughs> it's so much more fun, though, know, to say commissioner. commissioner. I love it. <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.